Hello, I'm Chris Alvarez, and welcome to Spacewalks Money Talks, where we talk about the policy, business, and technology behind space exploration and commercialization. We're on the web at spacewalksmoneytalks.com. Thank you for listening. I'm here with uh, Professor Lembeck and Professor Putnam of uh, University of Illinois. Thank you for speaking with me. It's a pleasure. Yeah. So first, um, space commercialization and exploration covers many fields of study, studies. Um, which of your programs or initiatives would you like to showcase today? Well, it's a very timely to do that, given the uh, first launch of the Boeing commercial crew vehicle today. Mm-hmm. Uh, commercialization is sort of a, uh, a new process by which the government can uh, get new programs started efficiently and in a cost-effective fashion. And as such, uh, it's going to affect the broad gamut of space programs that are either ongoing uh, in Earth orbit or exploration programs or what have you. Uh, to that extent, uh, our educational programs here will supply students that are job ready for any of those programs. Mm-hmm. I guess yeah, if we had to pick a program, it would be the aerospace engineering program here at the University of Illinois mm-hmm. and the, you know, the various subsets of that uh, graduate program and the undergraduate program, mm-hmm. the Department of Aerospace. So I assume entry into any of your programs is competitive. Apart from raw scores, what sorts of experience or skills um, would help a student stand out when being considered for uh, for admission? Well, the, there's sort of uh, two different types there. Uh, one is admission to the undergraduate program. Mm-hmm. And... I'm actually not sure how much insight I can really provide into that. That's done at the university level. Okay, that's fine. Certain papers and things like that are important, as well as extracurriculars and, and a student's uh, uh, history and their ability to do a little bit more than just get good grades. Mm-hmm. Need more than uh, to get into the university. Mm-hmm. Uh, at graduate level, we control admissions uh, in the department, um, so that I can talk a little bit more about. Yep. Um, certainly, I think we look for. We look for a very good academic performance. Um, you know, we get a lot of top applicants here. Um, but I think beyond that, you know, most of us, particularly if you're, you know, looking to, for a graduate student to do research work, mm-hmm. but we're really interested in them having some experience beyond just solving homework problems, mm-hmm. uh, especially experience in a research lab, whether on their respective campus uh, or as part of an internship. Um, the ability to, what I look for personally, is their ability to work independently and solve open-ended problems. Mm-hmm. And we, we try to teach those things in the in the undergraduate curriculum here, and I know my colleagues do at other universities, mm-hmm. but it's hard to teach in the classroom. Right? There's really no substitute for working on sort of, quote, real-world problems uh, in industry or as part of a research program, um, and that's what I personally look for the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mentioned the undergraduate program is being handled elsewhere, but I can see in the students that do come in the door, those that have experience in robotics, uh, you know, good math and science background, those are the ones that excel when they get here because they've already had some hands-on STEM experience at the uh, grade school or high school level. Mm -hmm. So if you think about a student who's, you know, finished uh, undergrad and has their degree and, you know, they want to go into graduate school in this field, in these fields, um, do you see, do you see, is it more about doing maybe unpaid internships or getting an actual job that you're at for a few years and then going into the graduate program? What sort of the, what sort of, um, what do you think is the best path or a good path to take? 
We see both. Yeah, I'd say there's definitely no one path. Um, we have all manner of graduate students in this department. We have an online program, so we have people who are, are practicing professionals working on master's degrees uh, in spare time. Um, we have, you know, most of our graduate students are here in, in residence. Um, I think we're lucky in engineering in that unpaid internships are pretty rare. Usually they're paid. I don't actually know too many students who do unpaid ones. Um, and by the time our uh, seniors uh, come to our design courses, they may have had two or three internships over the summer mm-hmm. with a company. So it's uh, it's really good experience for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, our, our students are very good, as well as you know. And I think there's supporting programs here at the university to to aid them too in the career office and things like that. Are very good at getting internships. I think it's particularly in engineering. It's recognized that that's an important thing. That we are, in a sense, you know, you are getting a uh, a university education, but we're also training you for a very specific profession. Uh, and it's, I think, exceedingly valuable to students to get out there to learn sort of how how things are done uh, in industry or in government, research labs, things like that. Uh, but also get a feel for what they want to do. You know, do they like working at a small company? Do they want to work at a big defense contractor? Do they want to work in a government lab or be a civil servant? Do they want hands-on or more analytical computers-based stuff? What do you see as far as the interest in um, private companies versus working for for the government? Or um... it's a mix. I think recently the balance has definitely shifted towards private companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is this is my opinion. I don't know what, but but especially some of the new space, although it's not as new as it used to be. Right. Just because you know those places are doing really exciting things. The students mm-hmm. hear about those things. They're inspired. They want to go do it. Mm-hmm. And I think some of these newer companies have inspired some of the older companies to also do stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's quite frankly, there's enough excitement about that um, that it's uh, uh, you know fewer people are, are signing up for graduate school and more of them are going straight to industry. And we see that trend generally when when industry is, is good and exciting, students want to go straight there. And when it's a little slower, they tend to be more interested in graduate school. Mm-hmm. Have you have you come across any interesting experiences or um, I don't know uh, projects or anything that people some students have done that you'd like to see more more students uh, jump into anything anything new and exciting you know that's out there. Well, I know uh, some of our students have worked on uh, commercial cargo and commercial crew vehicles at SpaceX. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have some uh, folks that have now uh, working at Blue Origin. Uh, so they're getting a lot of experience and kind of a new way of thinking, a new way of doing business. Uh, those opportunities are great, and uh, and for our students to go out and make an impact immediately, it, it certainly is good for our department in particular to uh, be recognized for producing students that can go out and have an immediate impact in their jobs. Mm-hmm. Okay. On my end, I've, I've personally had uh, more than one graduate student you know, go uh, somewhere for the summer uh, to NASA or elsewhere, start working on a new project um, just because that's what they wanted to work on and had that project actually turn into their thesis. Hmm. Okay. Uh, and that's a great setup, right? They're, they're working with, with real industry or government folks on problems that are important enough that, you know, someone uh, in those organizations has put money behind them uh, in addition to getting their degree at the same time. Hmm. I think another example, I have a freshman who's in one of my uh, design courses working on CubeSats. Uh, she just came out of an internship last summer in high school with Lincoln Labs, and she built a radar. Uh, so 
here as a freshman in her first semester, she's working on one of our CubeSat radios and uh, working in that development. So it's really a great experience for her to be able to step into something like that just fresh out of high school. Yeah, yeah, definitely. What other graduate, undergraduate, or pre-college school programs have you partnered with recently on projects, if you have? Oh, you want to you want to go down the list? That's yeah, we have quite a, a number that we've worked with. Uh, I can get started in in the CubeSat area. We uh, we build the CubeSat buses here at Illinois. We do all the design, development, testing here. Uh, very little parts bought off the shelf, and so consequently, other principal investigators from across the country have come to work with us, supplying payloads. Uh, Virginia Tech, Greg Earl there has worked with a uh, atmospheric sounding experiment called Place. Uh, that we hope to launch later next year. Uh, we have a uh, CubeSat that's flying a freeze-thaw experiment from Northwestern uh, that will also fly probably in early 2021. Uh, we have a, uh, uh, actually, Zach, you probably want to talk about SASE. Oh, yeah, we had a, a high-altitude atmospheric probe CubeSat, which uh, launched in April, uh, and we partnered work with uh, a co-investigator at Purdue University doing... Um, Non-equilibrium flow chemistry as you zip through the upper atmosphere at Mach 30. Hmm. Um, you know, you know, box this big. Mm-hmm. We've worked with Bradley University in Peoria. They uh, developed a lot of ground system, ground operation software for us uh, on a cooperative venture that will be supporting our CubeSats as, as they launch next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're currently working with Fermilab and the Adler Planetarium on some new ventures. Uh, that we hope to take to proposal and uh, land later on this year or next year. Uh, 4-H. Yeah, there's, there's a newer newer uh, project, seems small, but a newer program maybe that we're, we're working with 4-H mm-hmm. uh, in the state of Illinois uh, to build very small uh, CubeSats, uh, little ones um, that such that uh, you know those can be accessible to high school students all across the state. I hit that right? Yeah, that's exactly. Uh, and, you know, on the research side, sort of independent of the CubeSat lab, we have a lot of interaction on that side. Um, I personally have done other other space-oriented projects with Purdue, faculty at Purdue University and University of Colorado Boulder. Uh, so I think that, that kind of collaboration across institutions is pretty common. Mm-hmm. So I, I sounds like you kind of touched on this next question, but what, uh, what U.S. or non-U.S. businesses have you worked closely with? If you have, yeah, well, I've worked uh, closely with uh, Boeing, doing mm-hmm. uh, commercial crew. Uh, we've worked with uh, Northrop Grumman in the past. Uh, they they launch our vehicle SpaceX as well. Uh, Nanorax uh, has done a lot of our launch integration activities on the CubeSats, and uh, KBR Wiley down in Houston. Uh, we have a couple of our students that are going to be working with them on human factors and spaceflight next year. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we also work with uh, CU Aerospace, which is a smaller firm here in Champaign-Urbana. Um, and my research group has done some work with Draper Laboratory, which is a nonprofit R&D lab that does a lot of guidance and control work uh, in the space program. So I know there are a lot of companies involved in, in new space. Um, how do you how do you end up? linking up with them do they, are they basically contacting you or do you have some process where you you know meet up you know annual conferences or something 
Well, as a professor of practice here, I started about a year ago coming in from government and industry. I have a lot of connections with those folks from my past. Mm-hmm. Uh, worked intimately with uh, Blue and, uh, and Boeing and, and companies like that. Uh, and we have a lot of alumni out in the field working in those companies as well. So we take advantage of those relationships uh, to bring in work. Uh, we bring back alumni to review, our, have design reviews with our students, mm-hmm. uh, those kind of connections. That was what popped in my head is we have a pretty active alumni base. Uh, and certainly for, we are pretty good luck at having alumni from industry from a variety of different companies come in and, and serve as judges and things for students. Um, but yeah, I think it's yeah. mostly just like it probably has always been, you know, those personal connections that are what really do it. I mean, there is the occasional, uh, you know, you run into those people at conferences. You know, I was, I was at a, the American Geophysical Union meeting a couple weeks ago. And there just happened to be someone from Blue Origins, uh, sort of student launch programs in the audience, and we talked afterwards. You know, so those kind of things do happen. Okay. Uh, but the connections through alumni and former students, um, you know, and they get a lot out of it too. I think you know they are looking for good students and hires, and we can supply them. Mm-hmm. Uh, see, our, those are places students want to go. Mm-hmm. So, are there are there any um, conferences you'd you'd uh like to mention that are particularly good for networking opportunities or there are a lot well it sort of depends there's a lot yeah there's the well one example was the uh, international astronautics conference that was just held in dc this summer Mm -hmm. Uh, we actually had a group of students go there presenting a paper on some work they had done developing an eva tool for uh handling sharp edges on the external handrails of the space station mm-hmm. uh, they took the tool down to the neutral buoyancy lab in houston uh, showed demonstrated it underwater wrote a paper about it demonstrated it and took first place in the student uh, conference area mm-hmm. so they were able to make connections themselves with people in industry and uh, one of our students katie carroll was just named one of the top 20 uh, up-and-coming students uh by aviation week in the space program so we're pretty excited by that, uh, to have that caliber of students here and getting their careers started early, networking at these conferences. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, what national, state, or other government initiatives have been or may prove useful to your programs or the field in general? Oh, that's a pretty long list. Um, mm-hmm. I know on the sort of university spaceflight project side, uh, NASA's uh, CSLI program, which stands for CubeSat Launch Initiative, uh, provides basically no-cost uh, rise to space uh, for university flight projects. Uh, also, the NASA Flight Opportunities Program, which provides launches for high-altitude balloons, sounding rockets, as well as orbital missions, uh, are hugely valuable to us. Uh, yeah, the undergraduate uh, science instrument program uh, sponsors a number of our CubeSats and the launch opportunities for them. And I, I think it's, it's worth mentioning that, you know, some of the larger programs, uh, you know, like Artemis, for instance, uh, that NASA has, you know, we don't, we're not, we're not going to be building crude lunar landers here uh, at the university. No. Um, but those projects do provide some focus and I think a lot of inspiration to our students. So those are of real value to us, too. Even if we're not, you know, directly involved, there's no money flowing uh, in those instances. How about the state? Um, does the state itself provide any sort of STEM or STEAM kind of uh, uh, support that's helpful to your program? Well, we are working to expand those opportunities. I would say uh, 
the university has connections in Chicago, of course, with the Discovery Partners Institute. Uh, that's a new effort uh, on behalf of the state to take advantage of the technologies that are being developed here in the university and commercialize them more, make them available to the small businesses that might be able to utilize them. Uh, so there are those kinds of opportunities. Uh, at the space program level, uh, those are some, sort of the things we're working on today to uh, expand uh, the awareness of what we're doing here and how we can help other businesses in the state uh, with high-tech kinds of items. Mm-hmm. Do you have? Does the school have any uh, educational resources that you'd like to highlight, and that could be um, maybe software or hardware or, or laboratories that you have that kind of stand out from other programs? Yeah, well, I'd say the big one is our Laboratory for Advanced Space Systems at Illinois. We call it LASI. Mm-hmm. Uh, LASI's our CubeSat lab. And it gives an opportunity for students to come in, design, develop, test, and operate CubeSats. Uh, that's an opportunity that Zach and I didn't have back when we were going through school, of course. Yeah. So, so being able to actually touch flight hardware, see it operate in space, is a very unique experience and uh, one we're really proud of here on campus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're actually a new uh, facility for that is actually under construction right now. Um, so we're going to have a nice, big, new lab space with a big clean room and a... Uh, State-of-the-art equipment. Yeah, and uh, a new uh, operations center, more than just a, a windows. Thing two here, at, at, at least with the way the University of Illinois is set up and the College of Engineering, I think one of our strengths is just access to all the different engineering disciplines and all the laboratory facilities on campus is really easy. Um, we're pretty centrally organized. You know, so we send students over to use facilities over in electrical and computer engineering. In fact, our antennas and everything for our communications with uh, satellites and things are all over in electrical engineering, um, material science labs, all that stuff is available, and I think that's relatively unique. Yeah, we're very interdisciplinary because of that, and uh, that brings in a lot of new ideas from other departments on in the campus here. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many students do you have, graduate students? In the department, we have about 150 graduate students, I think. Right. It, it varies somewhat here and there. Um, but, and that's about half PhD students, about half master's students. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you touched on this next question. Um, does the school have any significant future plans that you'd like to mention in these fields? And you mentioned the new state-of-the-art laboratory. Is there anything else? Yeah, I think we're continuing to invest in faculty hires in sort of space systems area. Uh, that's ongoing, um, but that takes time. Um, yeah, certainly our, our big addition we're getting on our building is, is in progress. That should be done in... At this um, time next year. Yeah, well, definitely by then. Um, those, are, those are probably the two things you can think of. Yeah, to the uh, extent of the faculty, I think we added seven faculty to the aerospace department last year. Uh, so this is a growing field. Uh, we see that in enrollment and admissions, and uh, the university is responding by uh, providing quality faculty to teach the students that are coming in. Mm-hmm. Another thing I mentioned too is we've got uh, three university flight projects, uh, you know, satellite missions that are going to launch in the next year and a half. Right. Um, and we've got several others in the pipeline behind those. There's going to be a lot of exciting things to do in terms of integration of tests and operations for those systems as they start to return data and, and those sorts of things. Okay. Yeah, actually, um, yeah, when it does return data, how do you, what do you guys have in place? Um, 
How is that analyzed and processed and all that? Well, as Zach mentioned, uh, over on the rooftop of an adjacent building, we have our antenna and our receiving systems. Mm -hmm. uh, they bring that information over here to our labs, uh, where we have computers set up to uh, receive the data that students monitor, track the satellite, download the data, and then review it. Uh, in our new facility that will be coming online, we'll have something that looks more like Mission Control in Houston. The uh, large glass windows that uh, people walking down the hallway can look in to see the operations, several consoles, big screen TVs, just like the big boys. So we're, we're looking forward to having that operational and having student teams uh, taking a hand at, at operating a satellite. Well, wow, that's pretty cool. Um, now, this is more a sort of a general question, maybe not so much about the uni university, but... Um, do you see any obstacles or challenges in the development of space technology or in STEM education that you'd like to comment on? And this can include uh, funding, legislation, or, or outreach efforts. Yeah, you know, the, the big thing is uh, the stability of government programs is important. Mm -hmm. uh, programs that change as they have over the past two or three administrations where we're going this place, then that place, then back to this place, uh, it's hard for a student to make a decision or an assessment of what they want to do in their career uh, when they can't see what the forward path looks like. So uh, I hope that Artemis is here to stay, that uh, we have a path forward. I think there's enough inertia developing as, as we started the conversation with commercial space. Uh, that, uh, folks like Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk want to go to the moon, uh, so that will probably provide some additional impetus. Uh, to keep the program on track, and uh, but that, that's really the major obstacle is just stability and funding of the programs that we're working on uh, that our students will graduate into. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and even at a lower level, in terms of funding for universities for research, generally uh, funding for spaceflight projects uh, and spaceflight research comes from the federal government, and generally it comes from NASA. Um, the National Science Foundation tends not to invest in that area because they see NASA, and I guess the U.S. Air Force also uh, invest in that area. And NASA can be pretty inconsistent uh, in terms of funding programs and vehicles. Uh, for instance, we had uh, several of our CubeSats were funded through the NASA University's Student Instrument Program. Um, that was maybe three and a half years ago. We've heard there's going to be another opportunity for that coming out, but nobody knows when or if or what it'll look like. Uh, like I said, it's been it's been years now, um, and that's that's uh, uh, I think pretty consistent with uh, uh, NASA's university and research funding initiatives. Um, they're kind of all over the place sometimes. Um, there's not a lot of predictability there, which is unfortunate. But you know, we we do what we can. Mm -hmm. You know, on the on the STEM education side, you know, we have persistent issues with trying to address systemic imbalances in terms of getting more women into the field and, and other underrepresented minorities, uh, and it's a challenge. Um, you know, there's an element of sometimes, you know, we're fighting our peer institutions for the same small batch of people on mm -hmm. um, aspect, uh, as well as the other of, you know, putting resources in to try and grow the pie so that there are you know, that more people are interested and want to get into this field so we can take advantage of all those skill sets that we're not leveraging right now. And that's a really hard problem. I don't know that anybody really knows the answer. Um, so, you know, since I've been in academia, I feel more and more that the, maybe the central challenge is that's something that really has to be addressed sort of globally across all educational levels. Uh, trying to coordinate, you know, 
everything from you know grade school up through university and, and uh, graduate education, uh, including industry, uh, is a real challenge. Um, how do, how does it break down your student body uh, at the graduate level? Um, U.S. versus non-U.S. students. Yeah, I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, and uh, we're predominantly domestic. Mm-hmm. I know the majority of students are domestic, but I don't know what the actual split is. Eighty twenty ish, I think. Okay. The challenge for for foreign students is we get a lot of great foreign applicants, um, but it's expensive for them to come here. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you know, they come here and they get a degree. Uh, you know, they if they don't have uh, a green card. Uh, or a citizenship, in which case they were foreign. Um, it's almost impossible for them to get a job in the United States in, in aerospace because of uh, export control regulations through EAR and, and ITAR. Yeah, and in fact, our, our graduate advisor was expressing a concern to me this week about students going home for Christmas break and uh, can they get back into the country? That's become a concern now, so uh, we need some stability in that area. Yeah, and you know, we I, I think we have to turn away, or at least I have, and not consider, you know, people who are probably excellent students uh, and would be great additions, uh, in my opinion, to the U.S. workforce because, you know, a lot of that, and, and I think it's, it's gotten worse in recent years uh, in terms of people's being able to get access uh, and waivers for those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Hmm, interesting. So, um, what excites each of you about this field? You know, for me, I've got an old saying that uh, scientists discover what is, but engineers create what never was. Hmm. So being able to develop something new, original, never been done before, and to now work with students that have no preconceived notions about anything, uh, so they're not uh, held with my, you know, umpteen years of bias, uh, to see them innovate, come up with new ways of getting around old problems, that's pretty exciting. Yeah, you know, I, I spent some time in industry before coming back to academia. Um, you spent a lot of years in industry. Um, you know, aerospace has a reputation for being kind of boom-bust. Uh, and it's, well, it's, it's probably deserved more or less, 80% of that. Um, you know, you get used to program cancellations and things that are disappointing. Um, but you move on, you get used to it. Um, but being here at the university, you know, being exposed continually to students and their enthusiasm and just the amount of stuff that they can do, uh, it's, it's inspiring, uh, like every day. Uh, it's, it's really fun to be around that energy and to be able to use it to solve new problems and things. And it, we've been talking about commercialization. You know, there's things I think people have been thinking about for years and years and years in aerospace, and people are doing it now. These small companies are just doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, stop thinking and just go do it. And it's amazing. And, uh, and that there's this great feedback loop with the students, and they're excited, and we're getting more, and they're doing even cooler things, and, and I have no doubt that they're going to go off and, and continue this trend, I think, um, which is great. And I don't know. I, I've been interested in space exploration and aerospace since I was, well, since I can remember, since I was a little kid. Yeah. I, mean, I, was, I was a nerdy little kid, admittedly, but um, you know, that part of me still gets goosebumps when I see SpaceX you know, land a, a, a first stage or... Hear about you know companies building you know CST one hundred you know their test flight didn't go perfect today but still uh, amazing accomplishments um, the things that are maybe going to happen with uh, what's the commercial lunar lander yeah the Clips. Clips. Uh that's amazing the fact that at universal level that we could maybe send a payload to the surface of the moon that's insane it's amazing uh, uh, so it's an exciting time and um, I think 
I'm, I'm hopeful, and I think not unrealistically so, uh, that it's going to continue. So uh, a couple uh, tech questions, just uh, tangential. Um, so one for each of you. Do we go? Is do you think it's best to go to the moon next, or go just go straight to Mars? And the second question is, um, how do you approach uh, space debris in low Earth orbit when you deal with CubeSat stuff? Well, I think we have a couple of issues that we have to address. One of them is the aging space workforce within NASA. Uh, the median age at JSC is in their fifties. We have to, you know, a lot of the Apollo era knowledge is walking out the door, if you will. It's gone. Uh, or gone, as Zach said. Uh, so we, we need to redevelop a lot of that, and it's a lot easier to uh, do that three days away than six months away. Uh, you know, space is an ocean, and you're not going to cross the ocean in a rowboat. So we have some work to do in developing technologies before we can get to Mars. And uh, that's one of the exciting things of being here at the university is seeing some students come up with new concepts on how to get there faster with less radiation damage and, and other uh, problems that astronauts will face. Uh, so clearly, I think the moon is a stepping stone. Uh, we need to redevelop those capabilities and that technology and the systems. Uh, and the space station improves that, too. I mean, we, we have a hard time keeping the logistics train just 62 miles away. Uh, and so we need to develop all of those capabilities as well. Let me give you a slightly different answer to that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, people spend entirely too much time arguing about it and not enough time sure. doing it. <laughs> the moon is a good stepping stone. A lot of the technology needed to develop would be very consistent between the two. Uh, but there's a fair set, fair size set of technologies that you need on Mars that you don't need at the moon. Um, and so then it'd be, and, and there's a smaller set of technologies that you need at the moon that you don't need at Mars. Hmm. In terms of system development, things you have to pay for. You know, I think it's important that we're doing something and doing it consistently. Hmm. Uh, partially for workforce development, right? You know, if you look at, say, the, the Mars Exploration Program, the robotic program has been very successful because they have maintained a cadence of mission after mission to build up that capability and that workforce and do a few new things each time. Um, and all of a sudden you've got really capable, you know, nuclear-powered rover running around Mars. Uh, opposed to, you know, landing it on airbags like we were doing in the 90s. Uh, I think, you know, that's a hard thing to do uh, from NASA's perspective. They're behold the, the whims of whatever administration comes in. But I think it's more important that we just continue to do something. Uh, and if we end up feeling that it's, it's time to... Uh, put the money into the lunar land and go to the moon, great. If we want to put that money towards building, you know, longer duration in-space habs and, and interdisciplinary landing technology from ours, sure. But let's, let's just do one of them and uh, not get into these food fights about which one's more important or, or not. Mm-hmm. And the, the low-Earth orbit question about space debris? Is that- <laughs> well, it is going to be an issue. Uh, you know, we had a... Uh, talk the other day in our senior design class about the ethics of launching constellations of 30 or 40,000 satellites taking away night sky views from future generations because the sky will be abuzz with moving lights uh, and all of that debris is going to eventually have to come down uh, we're working on a couple of technologies here at Illinois for doing dealing with those issues uh, create additional drag or to, to bring it out of orbit and uh earlier basis. Uh, so it's going to certainly be a challenge. It's a, it's a fun 
I'll say, problem to deal with. And uh, it's technically it, interesting. It's yes. it's definitely uh, be nice if we didn't have an it. issue as a problem. Yeah, and I think the thing about low Earth orbit is uh, nothing in low Earth orbit is probably still going to be there in 20 years. It's all going to come down. And there's enough drag, there's enough atmosphere, not very much, but enough that, that those things will come down. Uh, some of the higher altitude orbits uh, in the long term may actually be more problematic uh, in terms of decluttering them. Mm -hmm. um, but it is, it is an issue. It's, I think, like you mentioned, it's not university CubeSats, quite frankly, that have been, are going to be the problem, although there's been some worry about that, you know, say, over the past 10 years. Uh, there are going to be these mega constellations. And with that many vehicles, and if you launch 10,000 satellites and 1% of them are duds or don't work, right. that's 100 pieces of debris. Uh, but you have, you know, you're tripling or quadrupling or multiplying by 10 the number of things we have in our low Earth orbit. So collision risks and all the things are much higher. Um, probably not a doomsday scenario, but it could be a mess. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating stuff, definitely. Um, all right, that's all the questions I have. Do you guys have any final thoughts uh, or words on the study of space technology or your, your school's programs? Well, I, I think it's just a great time to be an undergraduate here to be able to put your hands on to spaceflight hardware, to operate it, get that experience, uh, and then carry that out to industry with you. I think we're preparing some uh, really good candidates for the future programs, and it's uh, going to be exciting to watch them grow and prosper out in the real world. Yeah, I just say if there's students or, or high schoolers that you know that are interested in space technology, just to tell them to go for it. When I was an undergrad studying aerospace, I was convinced that, you know, I liked airplanes too. Um, the spacecraft was what I really wanted to do most, but I had convinced myself that there weren't any jobs in spacecraft. Uh, granted, this was years ago. Uh, I was going to go do airplanes, which was definitely my second choice. Uh, I had one internship at, a, at an aerospace company out in Colorado, um, and if it hadn't been for that, I'd be in a very different place. That totally changed my mind about working on satellites and things. Uh, and basically, I did like a left turn my senior year of undergrad. Uh, and I think particularly in this time, uh, with the things that are going on, you know, maybe students wouldn't have that, that view anyways, but to just go for it. You'll find it. Uh, it is there. Cool. All right. Well, well, thanks for speaking with me. Yeah, sure, Chris. Good to meet you. Thanks for the opportunity today. Thank you for listening. You can find more podcasts like this on your favorite podcast feed under the title Spacewalks Money Talks. That includes Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. One great way to support me is to rate my podcasts, either good or bad. You can find more fascinating information at SpacewalksMoneyTalks.com, on YouTube under Spacewalks Money Talks, on Facebook under Spacewalks Money Talks, on Instagram under Spacewalks Money Talks, and on Twitter at SpacewalksMT. Don't forget to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I recommend newly published books. The subscription box is on my webpage. Thank you for listening.